Well, a very pleasant good morning to you. Hi there, this is Patrick Timpone. We are live here a little bit later uh, than usual. We had some technical uh, shenanigans to work through as we're getting connected up, and we are connected live from Donetsk in Ukraine with Russell Texas Bentley. You'll find out where the Texas is in his name, and uh, you have been getting lots of information on the mainstream media and also on the alternative media, and there's not much of that either on what's going on with Russia in Ukraine. And Mr. Bentley's been there since 2014, war correspondent, uh, human aid volunteer, and you're going to meet him in just a second. And if you have uh, um, the energy to participate with this uh, show, you're welcome to do so by calling 888-663-6386. And you can talk to Russell personally in Ukraine or email Patrick at OneRadioNetwork.com. Tomorrow, Sally K. Norton. We're going to dig into the world of oxalates and all the little vegetables running around the world. Russell Bentley is here. He, as I told you, a war correspondent. He's been in Donetsk for um, since 2014, and he actually fought for the um, for the DPR army uh, fighting the Nazis in Ukraine and. What are Nazis doing in Ukraine? So we're going to find out. Mr. Bentley, Russell, good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Patrick. Uh, it's actually afternoon here, but uh, I'm very happy to be speaking with uh, somebody in central Texas. <laughs> uh, people, my code name in the Army was Texas because uh, I'm from Texas. I was born in Austin in 1960, lived all over the great state of Texas, a few other places in the USA. But I came to Donetsk in 2014 uh, after the uh, Maidan coup d'etat that was uh, instigated by the USA when the Ukrainian uh, army turned their full military force against the civilians in the eastern part of the country in Donbass, uh, which is where Donetsk is located. Uh, I started seeing all these terrible war crimes that they were committing. And so uh, I decided to come here uh, hmm. to join the army. Uh, defend the good people and to fight against the genuine Nazis uh, that are in the Ukrainian army and the Ukrainian government administration these okay, days. Okay, so you, been for you, the last eight years. you joined the new, you, Russell, you joined the uh, Ukrainian army. It's called DPR, right? No, no, I'm understand. Sorry. There's a big difference. Ukraine, uh, let's see, where I live is called the Donetsk People's Republic. Okay. It is part of, of it used to be part of Ukraine. After the Maidan coup d'etat, the people here stood up, they broke away, they had a referendum, and they broke away. They said, we refuse to be ruled by, uh, you know, U.S. puppets and genuine Heil Hitler Nazis. And so uh, we stood up, and uh, we, we fought the Ukrainian army, which was the third most powerful army in Europe at the time. Hmm. We fought them to a standstill, and we've... Uh, We've defended our territory here for the last eight years. I fought against the Ukrainian army, which the United States government is backing. Um, it's a, a bunch of war criminals, and like I said, genuine Nazis. Nazis. Fight, I fought against them, and I'm, I'm ready to fight against them again anytime they that I need to. So how on God's green earth, when you were here in, in, in this country, did you know that they were real Nazis, the same type, I guess, that came in World War II, trying to take over, they trying to take over Ukraine? Was that their deal? And No, 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 they, they, the United States put them in power. Oh. You understand, in wow. 2014, right. there was a coup d'etat. Yes, there that was, was the whole Victoria Nuland thing, right? Victor yes, exactly. Yes. Okay. Exactly, and when she made the famous, the phone call was released, where she made the statement, the famous statement of F the EU. Right. Um, what most people, you know, they just talked about, you know, that, you know, ridiculous statement. But the thing that they missed, the most important part, was that Newland was talking to the U.S. Ambassador Jeffrey Pyatt. Yeah. And in that conversation, she directly told Pyatt who she wanted and what position in the new government. Yes, sir. And exactly every single person that she mentioned got exactly into the position that she dictated. So obviously, there's no uh, no democracy, there's no self-determination, there's no independence. This is a puppet regime 
that's uh, owned and controlled uh, by the United States. I mean, uh, you know, it's it's like a quizzling government, and um, it has nothing to do with Ukrainian independence. And the people in the East understood this, and they understood that the people that the U.S. was putting into power were uh, remnants of what was called the uh, the Ukrainian OUN, hmm. the uh, Organization of Ukrainian Nationalists from the Second World War that were uh, under Stephen Bandera, and they were Nazi collaborators. When the German Nazis occupied Ukraine, these were Ukrainians that went over to the Nazi side, joined the Nazis as soldiers and policemen, and committed some of the worst atrocities of the whole war. Even the German Nazis were shocked and disgusted by the war crimes and atrocities that these Ukrainians uh, committed against their own people. Hmm. And after the Second World War, the CIA continued to uh, 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 encourage and, and finance and arm the remnants of these Nazi collaborators in Ukraine. And uh, when the Maidan coup happened, they all came out of the woodwork like a bunch of roaches. And uh, they are the muscle of the U.S.-backed government here. And I, and I tell you, it is not like any exaggeration or rhetoric to call them Nazis. These guys say uh, Heil Hitler. They say uh, glory to Bandera, who was the German Nazi collaborator from Ukraine. Um, they have swastika tattoos. They have pictures of Hitler in their barracks and in their homes. Um, they, you know, they wear Nazi uniforms, literally. They fly Nazi flags. Hmm. And, and above all, they use Nazi tactics. They use terrorism against civilians. They torture their prisoners. They murder prisoners. They murder civilians. And so, you know, Nazi is as Nazi I does. Understand. These are real Nazis. So then you the were in, you were I'm in from, you were in the army that fought against these guys for three or four years. Correct, Russell? Uh, I was in I was I, I was in the army in 2014, mm -hmm. 2015. And uh, in 2017, I was in like the uh, the military police, which was I mean, b basically, I was still a frontline soldier, but it was just a, a right. different designation. But I served on the front lines in heavy combat positions, um, and I've been in quite a few firefights against the Ukrainian Nazis. Yeah. So, so you think it would be fair to say, in your opinion, Russell Bentley, that. Um, one of the reasons why Putin invaded was to clear out these guys as well as the whole NATO issue? Well, absolutely, you know, and the most important thing for a lot of misinformed or rather disinformed people in the West, you know, is that, you know, the, the, the story that's going around now is, oh, you know, this war's, you know, this war started, you know, in, in early March uh, 2020. No, this war's been going on for eight years. Eight years. These Nazis, the Ukrainian Nazis, have been attacking the cities of the Donbass People's Republic with heavy artillery, ballistic missiles, hmm. mortars, machine guns, snipers, every single day for eight years. So there's no, you know, this war's been going on for eight years. There's no, uh, you know, three-month-old Russian invasion. You know, and it's funny, too, because, you know, people, propagandists were saying back in 2014 that the Russians invaded Ukraine when when it was really just the people of Donbass and Donetsk People's Republic standing up defending themselves. Um, the see. Russian army was not here until March of this year, but uh, the war's been going on. The Ukrainian army's been attacking the people of Donbass for eight years. I, and yes, I joined the army and I fought against them. I understand. So why, why do, do you, do we know why the these uh, Nazis are going after this region. Are they in other regions as well, or just the Donbass region? Well, I mean, they're they're basically they're all over Ukraine. Okay, they're concentrated in the western part uh, uh, called Galicia of Ukraine. It's close to the Polish border. It's always been a very uh, you know pro-Nazi, uh, anti-Russian, anti-communist area. They're uh, a different kind of people there. You know, Ukraine is really kind of a rump state. It was put together <clears throat> from three or four different um, districts that had separate ethnicities, separate languages, yes, uh, separate re different religion. Uh, the West is uh, Catholic. Uh, 
the uh, East is Russian Orthodox. And uh, really, it was kind of a mistake to create this this uh, so-called Ukraine, which was made during the Soviet Union, uh, you know, a hundred years ago. And uh, so it's it's you know it's been it's it's been a real hot spot, you know, kind of ethnic strife and struggle throughout its hundred-year existence, and now uh, it's coming to a head. What happened was is that after eight years of basically stalemate you know, frozen war, the Ukrainians under U.S. direction, because it must be understood that nothing, nothing happens in Ukraine without the U.S. permission and the U.S. instruction. Really? You know, when when the United States tells Zelensky to jump, he doesn't ask how high he just jumps and he stays up in the air till they tell him to come down. <clears throat> so the Ukrainian army was preparing a major military, a massive military offensive against the cities of Donetsk, uh, the cities of the Donetsk People's Republic. It, people must understand that the city where I live, Donetsk, it's about the size of Austin, about a million people, about the same geographic size too as well. And the Ukrainian army, the frontline positions are literally on our city limits. Right now I'm sitting in the center of the city hmm. and it's like six or seven miles to the Ukrainian army positions. So they've been sitting on the edge of our cities for eight years, and they finally had a big buildup. They had 150,000 soldiers, artillery, rockets, missiles, tanks, the whole nine yards. And they were getting ready to make a massive offensive into the cities. And Russia understood this. Russia had intelligence. They knew it was going to happen, and they knew it would have been a, a huge genocide. And so... Uh, they uh, they came in right at the very last minute. They um, because they, they, they knew saved they knew the Ukrainians innocent civilian yeah, lives I see. by making this uh, intervention, this special operation to demilitarize and denazify Ukraine, which is what we're doing. Wow, wow! So they were on the they were on the cusp of coming in to Don, uh, Donetsk, where you are, and just to clean it out all of to clean out all of the real patriots, the people in in that area? Well, I mean, anybody that wasn't uh, willing to, uh, you know, live under Nazism, they were going to either kill or uh, make them, uh, you know, escape as refugees to Russia. Right. So this Nazi influence, Russell, Bentley, is it, is it throughout Ukraine? Did I hear you say they're everywhere in there? It's pretty pervasive. You know, is the it? eastern half of Ukraine is ethnically majority Russian, okay. Russian-speaking, Russian ethnicity. And, you know, in the center, it's about 50-50. In the east, it's 90% Russian. In the west, it's 10% Russian. And so, you know, the further west you go, the more the uh, Bandera and Nazi influence gets stronger. And, uh, I mean, like I said, it's it's... It's they're literally Nazis. They say Heil Hitler. Okay. They so, use the same techniques as the German Nazis did. So do you believe then that 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 Putin obviously has intelligence and knows this has been going on and the United States has influence and and their 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 goal was to then also then get NATO into this whole deal with these Nazis and be on Putin's border? Was that there? Do you think that's what he was trying to stop from happening? Exactly. Of course, that's exactly. I mean, that's the whole reason that the United States has been, you know, working in Ukraine since, you know, since the end of the uh, Second World War, in fact. Wow. You know, because as uh, Zbigniew Brzezinski once said, <clears throat> Russia without Ukraine is just a country. Russia plus Ukraine is an empire. So it's been a strategic goal of the uh, you know NATO countries, particularly the United States, the people that are now trying to rule the world, yes, sir, to separate Ukraine from Russia by any means possible, including by using Nazis and doing war crimes and stuff like that. So, so that's the real that's the real rub is um, somehow these globalist NATO U.S. people believe that with Ukraine that Russia would be just too powerful or too strong or whatever 
Well, I mean, you understand, I mean, right now there is an operation going on that of which NATO is the muscle for the people that own the European and American governments, Canadian governments, to take over the world. They want to rule the world. Yes, you know, after the fall of the Soviet Union, they thought that was it. They thought, oh, there's going to be one, you know, a, un a unipolar world, as they called it. You know, as yes. Barack Obama said, the one um, indispensable and exceptional nation where the United States called the shots and everybody else danced to their tune. Russia is the country that's preventing that and will prevent it. And uh, with or without Ukraine, they're powerful enough to do it. The thing about Ukraine is that NATO has advanced since 1990 all the way literally to Russians' borders. And uh, they see it as an existential threat. They didn't want, uh, you know, NATO bases literally on, uh, yeah. on their borders on their board. any more than the United States would want... Uh, Russian bases in, uh, you know, Matamoros, Mexico, or, you know, uh, sure. you know Windsor, Canada. Exactly. And is there, Russell, about 200 or so miles of Ukrainian-Russian border somewhere around? Uh, there's way more than that. Is I think there? it's about, um, I think it's about a thousand kilometers. Wow. Which, uh, and it may be miles, but, uh, so it's, it's, it's between 600 and 1,000 mile border of Ukraine that Ukraine shares with Russia. And so do you think it has a, this all thing that Putin's thinking has a lot to do with the Nazis that killed, what, 20 million Russians in the war, the big war? 27 million 27. in the Second World War. Wow, man. So he's not having that. So that's got to be what he's thinking too, right? He doesn't want this to do this. Well, I mean, you know, no, no decent person in the world would, would uh, do anything except hate and fight against, you know, a resurgence of Nazism, you know, I mean, yes, sir. it's the, uh, it's a philosophy of masters and slaves, it says, you know, one group of people is the Ubermenschen, the masters, and the other group is the Untermenschen, the slaves, mm. and, uh, you know, no decent human being wants to be a master, or is willing to be a slave. And so, yeah. of course, all decent people would fight against it. So these globalists uh, controlling this thing, maybe out of Davos or God knows where, and controlling Biden, they, they're they just kind of, sounds like, Russell, that they're using these Nazis as their their pawns or their, their puppets. They really are. And I can tell you that, huh. you know, it's really, you know, the stupidity of the Ukrainians who support this, this uh fight against Russia is tragic because, you know, there's there's exactly zero chance that Ukraine can do anything against m Russia militarily. Russia is going to achieve all of its military goals without question. There's exactly zero chance of anybody preventing it. Russia can handle the Ukrainian army in Ukraine, no problem. Russia can handle the Ukrainian army plus NATO in Ukraine, no problem. Hmm. And if it has to, Russia can handle NATO in Europe. And it will if it has to. If, if, if the escalation continues, wow. whether conventional or nuclear, you know, Russia's going to handle it. And they can. I mean, NATO doesn't have the soldiers. They don't have the equipment. They don't have the political will. You know, I mean, it should be remembered by anyone that knows history that the Russian army has been to Berlin and the Russian army has been to Paris already before. And they can and will go again if they're forced to. You know, I mean, before this war, for years, I mean, for the last eight years, uh, the people in the Donetsk People's Republic and the people in Russia, Vladimir Putin, was uh, tried every way to uh, find a diplomatic solution to this conflict and you know they were you know blocked at every every chance they took and before in the early part of this year you know Putin sent to NATO countries he said these are our demands you know that Ukraine be demilitarized to be made not to be a threat militarily to Russia you know that NATO go back to its borders of 1998 you know I mean 
People need to understand how much NATO has eastwardly expanded since 1990. And it's, I mean, it's an existential threat to Russia. And so Russia has a right to defend itself. And um, Russia will defend itself. They tried to do it diplomatically. They were just completely ignored, even laughed at. And uh, nobody's laughing now because, you know, Russia is kicking ass and taking names. And speak, let's talk a little bit about that. If you'd like to join the show, 888-663-6386, live with Russell Bentley, Texas Bentley. used to live just in my neighborhood, really pretty, just down the street. And he joined the uh, DPR Army, what, in 2014, a war correspondent. And you can also email Patrick at OneRadioNetwork.com. So, of course, the mainstream media here, Russell Bentley, is continuing to... Uh, tell us how terrible things are going for Russia, and they're, you know, all, you know the whole the whole thing, and uh, <laughs> excuse me, and you know they're just going to have to go back home someday. Um, why is it taken this long for them to do what they what they've wanted to do so far? And <laughs> excuse me, <coughs> in Ukraine, um, so as a Ukrainian army put up a a reasonable fight, or um, talk, talk well, about that, what's going on since March. Okay. First of all, from uh, the standpoint of military tactics, uh, Russia did make an offensive, a military offensive against Ukraine when one force is... Um, <clears throat> making an assault, a military assault against a a defending force, usually the assault force under standard military tactics and doctrine needs to be three times bigger Hmm. than the defending force. Okay. Because it's a lot harder to attack than it is to defend. Russia has done everything that it's done, and it controls about 25% of Ukraine right now, uh, with a force smaller than the defending force really so Hmm. not the usual three times as big not even one to one but with a smaller force than the defending force they've liberated about 25 percent of ukraine you know second of all the main tactic that russia is using is to minimize civilian casualties and to, I mean, to minimize all casualties, uh, but particularly civilians, and to minimize destruction of civilian infrastructure, roads, bridges, you know, water treatment plants, electricity generating stations, stuff like that. Because, of course, then it only makes sense. Because Russia, after Russia liberates as much of Ukraine as it feels it needs to, Russia is going to be responsible for that uh, territory sure. and the people it. that live on it. Now to rebuild it, right? You know, so hmm. everything that, that gets destroyed, they're going to be the ones who are going to have to rebuild it. Every person that gets killed, civilian or soldier, is going to have friends or family that are going to be pretty angry about that and are going to hold the Russians responsible and going to be against you know, the Russians, even though they're being liberated by the Russians. So... Hmm. The Russians, you know, as opposed to, you remember, you know, the shock and awe of Baghdad when the U.S. Army went in there and the Air Force and just basically, you know, leveled the whole city, yes, you know, sir. Fallujah. Yeah. You know, they did the same thing in Afghanistan. Um, so, you know, this is a whole different technique that the Russians are using. They're trying to, you know, they're not going in to destroy everything and kill everybody. They're going in as peacefully and gently as they can. They have been met by some very hard and very ruthless uh, opposition. The uh, Ukrainian Nazis who are led and trained by U.S. Special Forces and CIA have used every dirty trick in the book, uh, including using uh, civilians, their own civilians, as human shields, including murdering their own civilians to try and blame in a false flag against Russians. And, uh, you know, chemical weapons, biological weapons, you know, this is all part of their bag of tricks. So, you know, Russia, you know, I mean, and the thing is, this is this conflict 
is going to change the course of human history and the future of humanity. So, you know, it's been three or four months now. That's not very long for an epoch-changing battle. You know, and I can tell you this, you know, the people that, you know, say, oh, the Russian army is moving slowly. First of all, it's because they're being kind and gentle and careful. But the main point is that, you know, what else moves slowly? Lava moves slowly. But nothing can stand in front of it. Nothing can stop it. It's going to go wherever it wants to go. And the same is going to be said of the Russian army. It's like lava. So, Russell. It's going to go as far as it needs to. And nothing can stop it. I understand. Uh, So, Russell, are you referring to like on a global, uh, really big change of this whole um, uh, partnership that's happening now with China and India and Iran and, right. Well, I mean, that's, that's, that's the first part, you know what I mean? But first of all, um, you know, the United States is going to, again, be militarily, I mean, not just the United States, but all of NATO is going to be militarily humiliated, just like the United States was when it tucked tail and ran from Afghanistan. And so, you know, the whole military equation of the world is changing hmm. permanently. Um, and the other thing, even more important, is the political and economic situation in the world. And, you know, I can tell you that there's going to be a famine in Europe this year. And when I say famine, I don't mean food's going to be expensive. I mean, people are going to die from a lack of food in Europe this year. Mark my words. Why do you say that? Why you know, is there going to be the food supplies are that much more controlled over there than even here in the United States? No, because the Europeans have been much more criminally incompetent. I mean, you understand that you know, this started a couple of years ago, probably 2019. And what happened? Russia had long-term gas contracts natural gas contracts yes sir with most of the major countries in the european union yes sir. and they had signed five 10-year contracts and they said we'll sell you this gas for the next 10 years at 250 dollars per thousand cubic meters of natural gas which was a fair price it was around the market price at that time these contracts were signed sealed you know it was a done deal in 2020, when the COVID lockdown started, uh, because of the lockdown, because of the end of uh, so many industries were shut down, there was a decrease in demand for natural gas. And so the price of natural gas went down. It went down from 250 per thousand cubic meters to about 150, 125 mm-hmm. per thousand cubic meters. Okay. And the European Union, the countries that had signed these contracts, led by Poland, went to the Strasbourg Court for economic settlements, and they demanded that the contracts be renegotiated, that they be uh, that the signed contracts be voided and that a new contract be made where Russia sold gas based on the market price rather than the 250 yeah okay rather than the standard price for you know five ten years okay and so in this Strasbourg court which was absolutely corrupt and completely you know on the side of Europe with no legal justification whatsoever sided with the Europeans and said, Russia, yes, you have to renegotiate these contracts. Hmm. And Russia said, okay, well, all right, then we'll sell it to you for $125. we will sell it to you at market price. And so the Russians lost uh, some fives or tens of billions of dollars that year because they were being ripped off for 50% of the price that they had signed contracts for after they got renegotiated for the market price but then funnily enough in 2021 
the all the industries started reopening and stuff mm-hmm. and the price of natural gas started going back up and it didn't go back up to 250 it went up to 1250 it went up to the maximum that it was was like three thousand dollars the market price for a thousand cubic meters what people were able to sell it for well and then you know what and then the russians said hey you remember when you <laughs> demanded that we sell it to you at the market price guess what here's the market price pay it or don't get the oil don't get the gas okay which leads us into the food problem because one of the most energy intensive industries that there is is the production of agricultural fertilizer nitrogen potash potassium it takes a lot of heat and energy to produce that fertilizer so the fertilizer companies in europe you know all of a sudden you know they just simply couldn't pay you know one thousand two hundred two thousand dollars per thousand square cube for thousand cubic meters mm-hmm. they simply couldn't afford to pay it so they shut down production i mean they also understood that even if they produced it the farmers wouldn't be able to pay that price and wouldn't be able to buy it so they simply shut down production and so now we're halfway through the growing season of the 2022 without fertilizer in europe you know without fertilizer the crop returns are going to be you know 20 25 percent what they would have been if they'd had fertilizer so the you know it's going to be a devastating lack of food in europe german government economists are already predicting that a loaf of bread in germany will cost 10 euros 10 euros. A loaf of bread. Oh, great. So so do you think this was a whole controlled opposition, a controlled, controlled famine too? I mean, they knew, they know what they were doing? Personally, personally, I do. I, I, sure. it's, it's, it's beyond credibility for me to think that anyone can be that stupid, you know? I mean, yes, it's, uh, yeah. to me, it looks like uh, that was what they intended to do, you know, to create a, a Mad Max situation. And at the same time, you notice, and it's, it's happening in the United States. Yes, sir. You know, to a severe degree, but less than in Europe. It'll probably be like Europe and the United States next year. But as we see Biden, you know, who is such a disgrace in every every metric of measurement, you know, to the United States that, I mean, you know, Trump or Bush or Obama, you know, they were all complete scumbags too, but, you know, Biden's just off the charts. And uh, yes, sir, we understand. You know, and he's already saying, "Oh, it's the Putin tax," yeah, you know, know, which is a complete lie. Yeah. Putin's willing to sell food. He's willing to sell fertilizer. He's willing to sell energy. And it's it is the uh, you know it's the sanctions against Russia that are preventing that from happening. Yeah. And so again, it's like a false flag. You know, it's uh, yeah. Yeah, there, there, there was a story. The criminals yeah, yeah, are blaming yeah. their victims yeah. for the criminals' crimes. Right. There was a story yesterday, Russell, where uh, for the first time, Russell, Russia defaulted on some of its sovereign debt, but they paid it. They paid it, and then the, the people they paid it to, um, they they stopped it because of the sanctions. Um, sure. Yeah, it's just, you know. Sure, exactly, and it's the same kind of a lie, you know, where they say Oh, Russia defaults, but no. No. I mean, he paid. He paid. Russia pays it, and then the sanctions won't let the money go through, and then they blame Russia. You know, I mean, what else can Russia do? You know, these these sanctions are really. I mean, and they're not really hurting Russia no. at all. I mean, that's in what fact, I hear. Russia's making more money off its gas and oil than it ever has. They're making a billion dollars a week more than they used to and he, their gas and oil sales. and he seems to be able you know, to to get people to pay in rubles like he's been doing as well right rubles? oh he certainly is and europe's already paying and they will continue to pay because i mean and and the ruble is the strongest currency in the world right now i know it is you know so all these sanctions have backfired so horrendously against 
you know, not against the governments of the countries that imposed them, but against the regular people, the citizens of these countries. I mean, what in California it's seven, eight bucks a gallon for gas, yes, you know? Yes, sir. You know, and you got a big, you know, F two fifty pickup truck and you get ten miles to the gallon, you know, and and your office is twenty miles away, it's gonna cost you fifty bucks to drive to, to work and back every day. Um you know, how can people live like that? I don't know how they're gonna I don't know how they're gonna live like that. Russell Bentley's with us. If you'd like to join the show, Patrick at OneRadioNetwork.com. Russell, let's do a little break here. You have a glass of water. And what time is it there? About okay. uh, 7 o'clock in Ukraine, right? 7 o'clock in Ukraine? Yeah. About 7 o'clock. Russell Bentley, stay right there. My name is Patrick Timpone, and this is OneRadioNetwork.com. If you'd like to be on the show, you can email or call. we got a couple of emails here. And uh, we are live, 888-663-6386. Hmm, hmm, hmm. If you've tried our silver, have you tried our silver? Have you tried? Have you tried our silver? Well, you need to try it. Man. Previously on our show, we talked to the now legendary Dr. Dietrich Klinghart, and he mentioned sulfur. He's a fan. The conditions in our world and our environment are changing so dramatically that people need to have a whole host of self-help mm-hmm. tools and methods mm-hmm. and I'm I'm very uh, thrilled about your your version of MSM. It's a, it's the right way to go. You know, sulfur is is part of most of the detox enzymes and the, and the critical part that is right now we have a much much higher need of of healthy sulfur than we had even 10 years ago. And so you're um I followed your work a little bit, you know, that you're you're on the right track with what you're what you are uh, promoting it. Well, Dr. Klinghart, we've heard from thousands of people over the year how they really love this product. You can click and order our Pure Sulfur, three prices, United States, Canada, and worldwide, right here, or email me, Patrick, at oneradionetwork.com for a discount for more than four pounds. Pure Sulfur, one of the few places where you can get this product. Oneradionetwork.com. One of the things I do every night before bed is other than drink some warm goat's milk <laughs> is to I jump in my um, um, relax far infrared sauna for about 30 minutes or so and then take a cold shower and it's very powerful uh, there's more and more research coming out of the benefits of the infrared sauna for the heart and all organs of the body not so not just detoxing well, I've been kind of focused on detoxing for so many years but Believe me, there's a lot of good things going on other than sweating and detoxing, which is big. But uh, check out a video we have on our front page by Dr. Rhonda Patrick on our sauna and also uh, on the sauna mm, landing page, you'll see that video. And after you watch that, you want to get one. The only way to get the right price, the best price, is to email me, Patrick, at oneradionetwork.com. Patrick at oneradionetwork.com and we'll give you just tell me where you live, and I'll give you the best price ever. And it's better than you're going to get a price anywhere else ever. And we ship them all over the world. Uh, the only way, the only place we have not been able to ship them, strange enough, is uh, uh, South Africa and, and Germany. And maybe Russell's got an idea of why Merkel didn't want them in there. I don't know. But uh, anyway, um, here's, here's a, we're going to be back with Russell in 60 seconds. Check this. I'm drinking more water because I really need it. You know, I, I said, oh, I need some more water. I never had that thirst mechanism working as much. Right. Most guy, modern people have lost a lot of the thirst. The thirst mechanism thing. Didn't Batman Gelich talk about that, where you get so dehydrated that your body just gives up? Is it the orb and all the stuff with the hydrogen bubbled water? It's really hydrating ourselves more. I mean, that's that's the way it works. Well, sure. So hydrogen therapy, what it's doing is it's bringing down oxidative stress by combining the hydrogen molecular hydrogen combines with free radicals and what does it do to them turns them to water so that's hydrating meaning you're taking something that's trying kind of damaging and turning it to water which is hydrating Hmm. you're turning it into water which hydrates you boy that's pretty cool it's pretty cool pretty pretty brilliant indeed how many people are on our show talking about how important 
to be hydrated. I mean, it's like huge. This could be really a nice thing for you. I love my machine. It's the AquaCure machine. You can click an order. Use promo code. Mr. Patrick, talk show host. Uh, so much more than hydration, but I thought I would play that one because so many people on our shows talk about how important hydration is. But uh, this is the number one antioxidant ever, and we know that oxidative stress is the cause of most disease that can be initiated by chemicals or bad water, bad food, uh, mostly by stinking thinking. So you got to be careful what we think and believe to be true. If you'd like to get the the um, hydrogen machine, just email me. No, you don't have to. Go on the website, promo code one radio, promo code one radio for a twenty percent discount. The molecular hydrogen machine, promo code one radio Brownscast one radio network dot com. Oh, how come that doesn't work? Oh, I see. I think that'll work now. From the Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. We're having an interesting conversation with Russell Texas Bentley. Used to live in Texas. That's where that came from, Russell. Born and raised a native Texan, fourth generation. So I'm really curious, how is it that you were so motivated to fight the Nazis, which you've explained how they got there and what they're doing there in Ukraine. What was that about this whole thing that drove you all the way over there to work to fight these guys? It's really interesting. Well, my grandfather, uh, my mom's dad, he was a uh, tank commander in the Second World War. Um, he was somebody that I really loved and admired a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, he fought uh, with Patton's army up through Italy and all the way into Germany. And um, <clears throat> although he never was against the German people, you know, he understood and he explained to me at a young age how, uh, how bad the philosophy of Nazism really was. And um, <clears throat> so growing up, I was interested a lot in history. Um, I was born in 1960, so I grew up during the Vietnam War, the Civil Rights Movement, uh, you know, the beginning of the environmental movement, stuff like that. And um, I, I, I understood at a young age that there was a different perspective than just the predominant story of America is the greatest country and, you know, we saved the world in the Second World War. Yes, sir. And um, so I started being very interested in politics and history. Uh, I started reading, you know, like uh, the books of Che Guevara and Ho Chi Minh. And I understood that really the United States were the bad guys in Vietnam. You know, we were invading another country, uh, murdering the civilians of that country, the citizens of that country who were just defending themselves from a foreign invader. And um, then I just I, I just watched the history of the next 50, 60 years from there, you know, what we did to uh, Yugoslavia, what we did to Grenada, what we did to, uh, you know, Afghanistan, Iraq, Libya, Libya yeah. Somalia, yeah. you know, what, what we did to uh, Lebanon, you know, back in the 80s when the U.S. Marines... Uh, invaded Beirut and, and, and occupied Beirut. You know, I mean, so when Muammar Gaddafi was murdered in the country of Libya, which under Gaddafi was the most uh, prosperous country, I mean, the highest quality of living for the average citizen of all the countries of Africa and a much higher quality of living than many countries around the world, including in the Americas and including in Europe. And, uh, you know, I understood what the real situation was with Gaddafi. And I understood that uh, he was murdered, you know, on false pretenses, just like every war that the United States has fought in my lifetime based on false, you know, completely bogus excuses um, that were quite obviously bogus and, uh, you know, eventually proven beyond any shadow of a doubt to be bogus, you know, he was someone that I admired, and when, in the country of Libya, 
was was a a just and prosperous country, and it was completely destroyed to you know the level of you know Mad Max and failed state and you know slave markets, literal slave markets. And so after that happened, that was like 2011, and I was really really fed up with <laughs> the crimes of the United States. And then when I saw Maidan happening, you know, I knew it was going to be another regime change operation that was going to destroy Ukraine, make the people of Ukraine suffer, that every good thing in Ukraine was going to be stolen by the U.S. and Europe. And um, so I was following it very closely in alternative media in the uh, summer of 2014 on the 2nd of May there was um, a protest in the city of Odessa where people that were against you know the regime change the coup d'etat they they did a thing where they camped out in front of the uh, trade union building in Odessa and it was very peaceful it was like Occupy Wall Street where all they did was like put up tents and Mm -hmm. hold signs and sing songs or something but they were attacked by uh, a group of neo-Nazis that was bussed in from Western Ukraine. Um, they were savagely beaten. Their their uh, tents and stuff were set on fire. And then the doors to this big uh, trade union building were opened. And somebody yelled, go inside the building. You'll be safe in there. And so all these protesters, it's still not known how many exactly, ran into the building. And then, mysteriously, the inside of the building caught on fire. And uh, eventually there were some people that, you know, leapt out of third and fourth story windows to their deaths on fire. The ones that didn't die when they hit the ground were beaten to death. And this is all on video, on camera. And, I mean, it it was called the Odessa Massacre. And it turned out that there was an ambush waiting inside the building for these protesters. And what these neo-Nazis basically did is they had like a big, you know, gallon can of gasoline and they doused these people with the gasoline and then set them on fire and let them burn to death that way. Because there was many bodies that were later found where, you know, they weren't burned in 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 an office fire or a building fire. They were set on fire by gasoline because, I mean, the tops of their bodies were completely incinerated. The bottom half, you know, their blue jeans were still blue. You know, their sneakers still had the laces in them. You know, so they, they were they were murdered. And then, you know, and it's somewhere between, you know, 40 and 140. Nobody still knows for sure. Nobody's ever been convicted of anything concerning this terrible massacre. <clears throat> That was May the 2nd. And these were, let me interrupt for a second, Russell. These were people who were demonstrating against the Newland 2014 uh, coup d'etat that took over the Ukrainian government, the United States. Yeah. Right. So they. And they were murdered for peacefully protesting. Wow. Boy, that's terrible. Horribly murdered. Terrible. And then a month later, exactly a month later, on the 2nd of June 2014, there was an airstrike on the. the city administration building in the city of Lugansk, and which is also a, a breakaway republic against the coup d'etat. And, you know, and this is what I'm saying is that the Ukrainian army used every weapon in its arsenal, including air force, including, you know, uh, attack jets against the civilians. And so there was a bunch of civilians in front of the city administration building this jet just comes up without warning, you know, releases like 20 unguided rockets at the front of the building. No soldiers, no military installations anywhere around. You know, a dozen or more civilians were killed. And there was a guy that wasn't hurt in the attack, but he came up, you know, you know, minutes or a minute later or minutes later, and he's videotaping on his cell phone and there was a woman who was laying in the street she was laying next to the body of her friend that she'd been talking to 
She was laying next to her legs, which had both been blown off by these rockets, but she was still alive. But she knew she was dying. And she looks at this dude that's running around, you know, filming everything on his phone. And she says, hey, can I can I use your phone to to call my family? And, you know, she didn't get to make that call. She died. But there was a photograph that was made from that video where this woman whose name was Inna Kukuruza, and she's sitting there covered in blood next to her legs. And she's looking straight into the camera. And when I saw that photograph, it was like she was looking at me, hmm. straight at me and saying, what are you going to do about this? What are you going to do about this? Yeah. So then you went over there, came over there. Yeah, I mean, then that was exactly the moment. I mean, I'd been considering it before that point, but at that point I said, you know, there's nothing that's going to stop me from going. And... uh I told my family, I told my girlfriend, I told my boss, started selling all my stuff, got my Russian visa. I was planning to be, I wanted to come by the end of August, but it took me a little bit longer, you know, to get everything situated. And so I got, uh, I got to Donetsk uh, on the 7th of December, 2014. And a week later, I was in the army. In the army. And uh, on December 31st, 2014, I was on the front line in the combat position. Fighting the Shooting Ukrainian the fighting the Ukrainian army, which were controlled by Nazis, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. What a story that is. Russell Bentley is with us. So if you go out, say if you could walk around Ukraine now and talk to people, uh, Russell, give us an idea of the percentage of people that that understand what's going on there or maybe think that Russia just wants to take them over because he's uh, adventurous. What would be? What do you? Can you gauge what it would be? Well, I mean, I have been to several of the recently liberated cities: uh, Volnovaha, uh, Mariupol. I've been to. I've talked with people there. You mm -hmm. know, I mean, and both of these cities were very, very, very heavily damaged in very heavy combat. But the majority of the people there understand and appreciate the fact that Russia has liberated them from foreign occupation and Nazi oppression. Really? You know, I mean, basically, in Mariupol, you know, the truth is coming out that these uh, Azov Nazis, they basically could do anything that they wanted, and no one could touch them. You know, these were, you know... Heil Hitler Nazis, psychopaths with guns and carte blanche. They could go into a store and say, hey, you know, they go into a restaurant and eat and walk out, not pay. They go into a store and say, hey, I like that Rolex watch. Give it to me. Hmm. You know, they could see a girl on the street and say, hey, get in the car. And she's never seen again, raped to death. You know, some guy gives them a dirty look. They could put a bullet in his face right there and leave him on the street. Nothing happens. So the people under that kind of occupation, you know, they live in a state of terror. You know, they, you know, you're either, you either lick the Nazi boots or you fear being stomped by the Nazi boots every minute of every day. So the people there are very, you know, the only ones that aren't happy that Russia came in are the Nazis and their collaborators. <laughs> so when you, know, you when you got there in 2014, what would be the general awareness of the uh, global United States influence in putting this guy in office? What was his name in 2014? What was his name? Uh, Petro Poroshenko. Poroshenko, yeah. What would be the uh, awareness of the Ukrainian people then? Can you gauge that? How many people knew what was going well, on? Well, I mean... And certainly in the Donbass republics, you know, know. we were all aware of it. You know, okay. I mean, yeah. that's one of the reasons that the people here rose up against it is because they knew it was a foreign puppet government. They yes, knew sir. that it was, I mean, it wasn't elected by anything, by, you know, by any measure by the Ukrainian people. And there was nothing about it that was 
concerned with any benefit to the Ukrainian people. It was simply, I mean, the first thing they did once they had the Maidan coup is they took all of Ukraine's gold and flew it to New York City. It's in a bank there. Really? For safekeeping, supposedly. Yes, safekeeping. But I guarantee the <laughs> Russian, Ukrainian people will never, ever get it back. And they knew that then, and it's still true to this day. Wow, wow. Um, uh, we got to, let's start to get to some of these emails. Um, can Russell Bentley, oh, tell the story when he understands this whole bioweapons thing is, and Patrick can explain what it is. I won't go into it, and I will. Yeah, I, here we were told that there were lots of bioweapons in the in Ukraine that um, that did Putin blow them up and what were they? Okay, well, there is it is uh, it's been admitted by Victoria Newland. Uh, it's been uh, irrefutably proven that there are at least a couple of dozen biological laboratories um, that were doing uh, research on uh, weaponizing um, different pathogens and diseases. Uh, they were doing research on spreading disease by migratory birds. They were doing research on uh, tailoring diseases for s particular DNA, like Slavic people, like Ukrainian and Russian people's DNA. I mean, this is this has all been absolutely proven, um, and and there was you know at least a couple of dozen of them, maybe more, um, that we have proven so far. And uh, you know, I mean, and even Newland admitted it in in a U.S. government hearing. And so, you know, that's. You know, biologic, creating biological weapons is not just, you know, against all international law, but it's also criminally insane because who knows where it can lead. It could lead to the destruction of the whole human race just as much as nuclear weapons. And do you could, think Putin you know? feared these and who were controlling these biological weapon labs? Well, and, it, and it's very interesting. All of these laboratories, they were owned and controlled by the U.S. government. Wow. And U.S. corporations, including corporations uh, that were uh, being controlled by Hunter Biden, and only American citizens worked in them. Ukrainian citizens were not allowed anywhere near them, and the American citizens had diplomatic immunity. Wow. Anything that they did that was against Ukrainian law, they couldn't be charged for. So, I mean, these are these are laboratories that are doing things that are, you know, far too illegal and far too dangerous for them to do on American soil. And, and Putin, so came here Putin had to have of, uh, the intelligence to know that these things were there, right? And do you think he feared them, that they would yeah, be used course. against They're, him? I mean, yeah. it's been known. I was, you know, I was hearing about it and talking about it back in 2015. Right. It's been known. Hmm. Been known. And it's absolutely... Completely verified fact. Wow. Uh, what do you? What do you? What do you think? Do you think these globalists have just? They just fear that Russian will stand in the way of what they want to do. Russell Bentley, is that what's going on? Um, Russia exactly is standing in the way of what they want to do, hmm. which is literally to exterminate more than three-quarters of humanity and enslave the rest. That's their plan. You know, that, yeah. that is their plan. That's what they're doing. Not what they're going to do. It's what they're doing right now. With the injections. You know, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Yeah. It was pestilence, which is disease, which is, you know, the COVID, whatever it is, yeah. virus, and also the vaccine. That's pestilence. It was war which is just getting started. I mean, which, I mean, you know, the same people behind the war here are behind the war in Yemen, behind the war in Syria. You know, uh, you know, so there's plenty of war. There's a lot of people dying in war right now, and it's going to get bigger, you know. And then the other one, the third, was famine, which is just getting ready to get started. And 
which is going to be probably the worst of all before it's all over. Because, like I said before about the German guy that said uh, that a loaf of bread will cost $10 in Europe this year, or 10 euros, there's, you know, if you don't have 10 euros for a loaf of bread, you ain't going to get one. But probably even the few people that can afford to spend 10 euros on a loaf of bread, there ain't going to be a, enough loaves of bread to go around for all of them. So there's going to be a very hardcore famine in Europe this year. And you think and, that and maybe next United year States, in the United States. If like. not this year, then next year. And I mean, and just because it's this year doesn't mean it's going to go back to normal next year either by any means. So, you know, there's the, the and the fourth horseman, of course, is death and hell followed after. So, you know, pestilence, famine and war, you know, and it's the same exact people behind all of it. And it's it the only way it makes sense is if you look at it from a perspective of that they want to depopulate the earth and then exert, you know, slavery control over the ones that are left that aren't like them. Mm -hmm. Is is most of Putin's uh, power with the resources that he has and his relationship then now with, with China as well? Well, I mean, certainly China is... The most important ally that you can have yeah. you know i mean they have the biggest economy in the world they have the most people in the world and you know it's an ideal ally for for russia you know i mean because you know it's basically everything that russia has china doesn't have and needs and everything that china has russia doesn't have and needs you know what I mean? So it's a perfect symbiotic relationship. And you know what I mean? And it's, you know, it's laughable when someone says, oh, well, you know, Russia wants to invade Ukraine to to uh, build an empire or something. You know, I mean, geographically, Russia is already the biggest country in the world. It spans eight time zones. Wow. You know, I mean, you know, you could fit four or five of the United continental United States inside of Russia. And Russia only has 145 million people. You know, they got they got plenty of land. They got plenty of natural resources. They have the, the biggest freshwater lake in the world, Lake Baikal. You know, they have, <laughs> you know, forests uh, that stretch for a thousand miles. You know, they have, you know, you know, almost unlimited oil and gas supplies. You know, I mean, you know, the their agriculture they're, they're the biggest wheat exporter in the world you know they don't there's no reason that russia needs to go anywhere outside of its borders except to protect itself nato came into ukraine to threaten russia and russia had to take a step uh not only to protect itself but to liberate the russian ethnic russian uh people that lived in ukraine from genuine Nazis in foreign occupation. Hmm. So, so Russell Bentley, if we, and we have a pretty good idea with the Davos crowd, you know, and Agenda 21 and this whole thing and what they're up to and what they want to do, the Klaus Schwab's of the world. Um, so if we had to choose sides, you think we want to, sh we should be rooting for Russia and China to, to beat these guys? I mean, well, I mean, it's, what are you going to do? From my perspective and, I've been studying it for quite a while now. Have you? you no, know, this is, it's literally a war of evil against the future of humanity. I mean, hmm. these dudes, I mean, and, they, and they're pretty open about it. Yes, you know? sir. Yes, sir, they are. They're, yeah. they're, their goal of depopulation, they've, they've, they've come straight out and said it. Yes, sir. And the things that they are doing, the things that they're promoting are leading exactly to that. So hmm. it's not an accident. It's not some stupid mistake. They're doing it on purpose. And the only thing that's stopping them is Russia with the help of China and who is now getting some other countries on board that, that don't want to, you know, be part of the mass extinction of humanity to create a techno-feudalism Nazi future of... Uh, you know, 100 million masters and 500 million slaves yes, on the whole planet, you know? 
Any t- what's your take on choice. yeah? What's your take on wh- where India stands with all of this? I know Putin was just over there last week, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Uh, making friends and do you well, think do you think they're um, on board with Russia and China? Yeah, they've they've uh, they've declined to be involved in the sanctions against Russia. Huh. I mean, they're part of the BRICS yeah. um, union, which is economic union mm-hmm. uh, between Brazil, Russia, India. China and South Africa, which just this week, uh, Argentina and oh, it's another country have both uh, two more countries have applied to join. Oh, BRICS, really? Okay, all right. Yeah, I mean, so you know, the majority of the population of the world is not against Russia. You know, I mean, it's just you know, it's. It's the Davos, NATO, City of London, UN, New York City, yeah. Washington D.C. Those are the guys that are against Russia, and I mean it's the choice of, you know, every human being, right now on this planet. You know which side you're going to be on, and it's not, of you know, well, you know, I'm going to say you know that I like Russia or, you know, something like that. It's you have to do something about it, you know, because. The thing that I've been telling, hmm. trying to tell the people of the United States since I've been here is that Russia is not your enemy. Your enemies are the people that own and control the government that you're supposed to be in charge of, but you have absolutely no say in these days. And they are going to put up, I mean, you understand, I mean, you've seen all these um Food processing plants that have yeah, mysteriously up. burned down. Like Ten stuff. or twenty of them. Like a hundred of them in the last year. It's crazy, yeah. You I know, mean, uh, a huge train load of fertilizer just derailed in Colorado or something. I saw that just yesterday. Yeah. You know, I mean, this is it's it's not coincidence. No, no. Sir. They're trying to. I mean, because you understand that if there's just not any food, then it doesn't matter. You can't eat dollar bills. You know. Yes, sir. It doesn't matter if you have gold. You can't eat gold either. If there's not enough food, then people are going to die from not having food. Uh, Russell that can, Bentley. That can happen in the USA. It's it's not impossible at all, you know. I know. Russell, so I've been trying to tell people that if the citizens of Europe and the United States don't understand who their real enemies are and don't deal with them, as real enemies don't take their own i mean the people's power back from these enemies if if the people don't deal with them then russia is going to have to deal with them and and you're not going to like it if russia has to deal with them because it's going to involve nuclear weapons for sure